Well, good morning. Good morning. We are getting close. We uh, after today, we just have two chapters to go. We're almost through First Samuel, which means today we're in First Samuel 29. If you want to start turning there, and by now you have to be asking yourself, how much more can this narrator put us? Right? We started with a story with David. We left us on a cliff there. Then we went to a story with Saul. Left us on a huge cliff there. What are we going to do today? Are we, are we going to get some sort of closure? Fear not. We have a short chapter today. But we will get both closure and yet another instance of God's chesed love or loyal love. So let's look at 1 Samuel 29. We're going to start in verse 1. 1 Samuel 29, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together all the armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were proceeding in the rear with Achish. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years? And I have found no fault in him from the day he deserted me to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him. And do not let him go to battle with us, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sing in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright. And you are going out and you are coming in with me in the army, are pleasing in my sight. For I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing to the sight of the Lord. Now therefore, return and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish replied to David, I know that you are pleasing in my sight, like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he must not go up with us to battle. Now then, arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who have come with you. And as soon as you have arisen, early in the morning and have light, depart. So David arose early, he and his men, to depart in the morning and return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. May God add his blessing of understanding to the reading of his word. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. If we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we've repented, we turn to Him, and we have no fear. Lord, we pray today a simple prayer that, that what we have not teach us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and, and that your words would be my words. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you didn't notice, the narrator is firing up the flux capacitor. And in our passage today, we've traveled back to before the story that we went through last week, right? The Witch of Indoor passage last week. And we can't tell exactly how far we've gone back, but I think a, a careful estimate of a week or two is a pretty safe bet. And I can say that because of verse 1. Verse 1, now the Philistines gathered together all the armies to Aphek, 
Well, the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. We have a map here. It's a blank. I still have these blank. Okay, so last week we were up here, right? And, and the Philistines were at Shunem, and the Israelites were at Mount Gilboa. This week we're down here in Aphek, and the Philistines haven't made it up to Shunem yet. Okay, so that's how we know that we've gone back in time, because last week they were already up there. This week, they're back in Aphek, mustering up their forces, getting everybody on the same page, getting ready to attack. Aphek was about 40 miles from uh, Shunem there, so that's why we, we estimate about a week or two before they got everybody up there. And the Israelites must have caught some sort of a wind of what was going on, because we find out in verse 1, they're already up there at Mount Gilboa there, and there's a town called Jezreel up there, I think you can see over there, and uh, they're already camped there at a place called the Spring of Herod. In the next slide there, uh, I actually zoomed in a little bit, um, there's Shunem right there, and there's Endor where we went last week, but here is, right here, Herod Spring right there. And just a, a little interesting side note there, that spring is the same spring uh, that God uh, used Gideon to help pick out the men that would go into battle back in Judges. Uh, he was going to battle the Midianites and the Amalekites. And if you remember, he had a bunch of guys, and God said, take them to the water and let them drink. And those that get down on their knees and drink in the water, we don't want those. We want the ones that bring the water up to their mouths there. And remember, there was 300 of them that went to Gideon. That's this spring right there. And it's not surprising that this area was a, a major battleground because on the next slide there, we go back and we see uh, right here we've got a big, fat mountain range. And right here we've got another mountain range. And then out here is desert. It's just dry, hot desert. It's not very easy to travel in. So this right here, this little pass in between these mountains, uh, was a major trade route. That's how people got to Egypt. Uh, they wanted to go down uh, on the side of those mountains there, uh, the King's Highway, all the way down to Egypt, and they would trade their goods there. So it was a very important area, and that may have been why the Israelites anticipated the attack there. So the Philistines are still in Aphek. And for those of you who have never been in the military, or maybe, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but the military people know what I'm talking about. They were doing what we used to affectionately call the dog and pony show. All right? Verse 2. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were proceeding in the rear with action. This is a classic dog and pony show, okay? And this is where the commander stands up in his little commander box out there, and everybody else walks around and sweats all day. Right? And you're in your best gear, and you shine up everything, which is completely idiotic, because on the battlefield, you don't want shiny things, right? So you'd shine everything up, and then you'd march in rows, and the generals stand there all proud, and then it's a dog and pony show. <laughs> but as much as I despise dog and pony shows like this, this event actually ended up causing some good. We see in verse 3 there, the commanders of the Philistines are all standing there proudly watching all of their troops go by, and here comes Agish and his men there, and all of a sudden they see a bunch of Hebrews in, in the back of the line there. They say, what are these Hebrews doing here? Are you nuts? And, and after she responds, it's kind of like, have you ever done something really stupid, and your friends kind of call you out on it? And, and you try to, try to, you know, maybe bolster your story a little bit so it doesn't look as stupid, that what you did there? So you see him there, he says, uh, is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or, or rather these years? And he's trying to expand this a little bit and make it look like he really knows David there. But we remember earlier in the chapter, or earlier in the book, excuse me, uh, he was there for one year and four months. Right? So he's trying to inflate his numbers a little bit here, maybe not look so foolish. And he says, I've never found a fault in him from the day he deserted to me to this day. 
He obviously wasn't looking very hard because remember what David was doing, right? He was going out and he was attacking all of these other people and he was lying to Achish when he came back and saying he was attacking Israel and the allies of Israel there. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. They said, make him go back. We don't want him here. And they make a very good point. They say, Perfect. with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Right? So you got all your Philistines here. You got a contention of Hebrews behind them here. They go to attack the Hebrews. All of a sudden, these guys go rogue, and now you've got an enemy on both sides. They're saying he, he could slay us all from, from the rear there and try and get back into Saul's good graces. And then they remind him, there's that song again. Saul is slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. That must have been a really popular song. Because <laughs> everybody knows it. Even the Philistines, they know it. Right? And, and they're able to quote it quite regularly. So in a day and age before the internet and before radio waves and all that stuff, it must have been a very popular song. So Achish has to go back to David, and he says, As the Lord lives, the Lord there, if, if you've got an uh, NASB there, probably ESB too, um, maybe some other translations, the Lord is capitalized there. And so I went and looked at the Hebrew for that. That's actually Yahweh. So Achish is saying, May Yahweh, your God, as, as he lives, you have been upright. And you're going and coming out with the army that's pleasing in my sight, found no evil in you. Nevertheless, those guys don't like you. Right? The side of the Lord's. Now therefore, return and go in peace that we may have displeased the Lord's of the Philistines. This scene is a little comical, isn't it? I mean, here's this Philistine king. He's defending David to the other Philistine kings. He's extolling the virtues of the very man who spent the last year and four months lying to him. And now he's giving David the whole, it's not you, it's me speech. Right? And for you and I, we're looking at this and we're like, Phew. David's free. He got out of there. He's off the hook. And at this point, David should be packing his bags, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect 200. Leave. Get out of there. And then verse 8 rolls around. David said to Achish, but what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you this day that I may not go out and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Now, I wasn't there. I know I look old, but I wasn't there. And the Bible doesn't tell us. So this is purely land speculation here. But you've got to wonder if some of David's men at this point weren't doing the forehead slap. Right? Or maybe they're whispering David, shut up. Shut up, we're out of this. We're clear. Why, David? Maybe we can chalk up David's blustering here a little bit so that Akash wouldn't see that he was too happy to get out of the battle. I mean, after all, we have something that David didn't, right? We have chapter 28, the last chapter. We have chapter 29, we have chapter 30. We have the whole story. We know that Saul is doomed, right? We, we saw that in the last chapter. But David didn't know that. In fact, what David knew was that up to this point, Saul always whooped the Philistines. So why is he, why is he doing this? We don't know. We don't know the reason. But we breathe another slightly exasperated breath of relief as we see Achish respond to David here in verse 9. He says, I know that you're pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, you must not go up against battle. Now arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who will come with you. And as soon as you have arisen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David rose early. He 
Saul get up and rise and go out into the night, into the darkness. When David arises, he walks out into the light of a new day. Last week we were given a view into the, the horrifying final hours of an unbelieving man. We watched as he realized it was too late. He had hardened his heart for the last time. And he goes out into the darkness of night. But this week we see the light of the child of God. David, who was only a man and sometimes sinned, awfully more later in his life, still sinned. But he was a child of God. And he walked into the glorious light of a new day. It's a little refreshing after last week, isn't it? So what can we do today? What, what can we take from this ancient passage? What can we learn from these 11 verses? Well, today I want to focus on three things. And these three things have nothing to do with David. Because there are no heroes in the Bible other than God. <coughs> Every person in the Bible let someone down at some point. Every person in the Bible sinned and let God down at some point. Which is why the Bible isn't about people. Jesus. It's about God. Okay, so what does this passage teach us about God? Well, first, God's presence in this passage is so quiet. Look back at it. I mean, the, the only mention of Yahweh is done by a heathen king. And yet, discerning Bible readers can see Yahweh moving through the whole thing. We, unlike Hollywood, don't need bright flashing lights and big explosions and the movie announcer voice, to, to get the point here. God was with David in chapter 29 just as much as he was with David in every other chapter so far. We don't need the narrator to announce to us. And so on that day, God rescued David from the Philistines. We see it. And anyone who's been a Christian for very long knows that God delivered David. Because they have seen God deliver them. And they know there's no other explanation for it. If that's the case, do we not have a responsibility to look back at those times? To examine them and marvel at God's goodness and his mercy and his presence. And not, not just to focus on yourself and say, gee, what a good boy am I, but to share those times with others. To share them with your children and your children's children. I sent out the weekly text this week and I included a verse out of Psalm 154. And I'm limited on those texts. I can only send so many characters. Some of you out there are saying sheesh. Is there any way we can lower that number? But it limits me. So I'm going to share more of that psalm with you this morning. Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. This is what we should be doing when we look back at the quiet help of the Lord. We should become little preachers in our homes and, and with the people that surround us. One generation praising God's works to another. This upcoming Saturday in the middle, we wrapping up our study in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to move to Titus. And, and 
Titus was written by Paul, and he's, he's instructing Titus, this young preacher, on how to run the church and what to do. And in Titus chapter 2, he starts off in verse 1, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, of purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponents will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Older men teaching younger men. Older women teaching younger women. One generation praising God's works to another. And especially praising the quiet works of God to each other. And I, I was thinking about this this week. And the question just kept popping up in my head. Why does God work like this? Why does he not just send us a text or shoot us an email to let us know what he's doing? You can put a big billboard out there on Balfour, right? And every time you drove by, it would pop up. You know, and you're going to still be talking to that again. Maybe it's because it's more interesting that way. Think about how many texts and emails you get in a day. Maybe, maybe God works in such a subdued manner because it's challenging that way. If we were spoon-fed our daily happenings, perhaps we would start to look like a tiger in a zoo. Or maybe it's more like your first love. Like, like a boy and a girl first getting together and getting to know each other and they're spending time together and they're developing their relationship. And their feelings grow, but neither one wants to be the first one to say the words. So maybe they're worried that the other person doesn't feel the same way. Or maybe the other person thinks of them as more of a friend because they're in the friend zone. And then they go for a walk one evening. And he begins pointing out constellations in the sky. And their hands brush softly against one another. And the next thing you know, they're holding hands and walking under a star-filled sky. And that is the beauty of it, is it not? If the boy and girl sat down with their day planners and said, okay, what's this, Saturday good for you? Good, good. Uh, seven o'clock, good. Okay, seven o'clock on Saturday, uh, we're going to hold hands. Right? Where would the magic be? Where would the excitement be? The reserve and the silence of the whole thing makes it much more joyful and memorable. Isn't God amazing? And that he can create quiet moments that are so memorable and so joyful. And he never needs to announce what he's doing. Because as we think and, and struggle over situations, don't you think it's it's much more likely that as we go back and, and look at these and, and examine them from different directions and, and put them against the Bible, don't you think we might develop a more intelligent worship of God? One of both faith and intellect working as one. It's a beautiful thing. And just like there's, there's mystery and excitement in the quiet ways our God moves, God's ways are surprising to us sometimes. 
3,000 or so years after the fact, it may seem a little humorous that the, the Philistines there uh, kicked David out of their group, thus working him out of the battle with the Israelites. We, we can look at it and, and, and chuckle a little bit. Say, oh, no way. But to the Philistines, it was no joke. In fact, the Hebrew words there that describe their anger, anger towards Achish uh, was more like a, a commander to a subordinate, right? Like, like a father to a son. They, 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 what are you doing? Stop being an idiot. They were chiding this king, their fellow lord, as a general would yell at a private. And even old King Achish, he can't do anything about it. Right? He goes to David, hat in hand. Golly, talk nothing I can do. <laughs> and we see it again. What, or in this case, who, does God use to rescue his servant? David is. And this isn't the first time that God has used the Philistines to save David. Remember the mountain scene where Saul was coming around the mountain on both sides and David was pinned in and he was about to get captured and then all of a sudden this messenger showed up and said, hey, the Philistines are attacking, we've got to go. And David was saved. Those Philistines, they make good servants for Yahweh, don't they? And it reminds us of Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? <coughs> now I would throw a note of caution in here. As we study this, I don't think the text is telling us, hey, go out and be a knucklehead. Go out, ignore God and... and just disregard what he says, and then don't worry, he'll rescue you. Every time. Because what he's done for David here, he may not do for you. The text isn't guaranteeing that. But what our passage does teach us is even our, our foolishness, even in our weakness, we are no match for God. He has millions of unguessable ways that he can pull my bottom out of that fire. And in our human arrogance, we may not even understand some of the times that he's actually saved us, even by using our own Philistines. He can make our enemy serve us as a friend. As Dale Davis puts it, he not only prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, but also has the knack of using our enemies to prepare the table. Amen. In preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of a joke. Now, I'm fairly confident that 99% of you have heard this before, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I've just given you insight what it's like to be married to me. I know you know this joke, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Oh, and it's probably not the funniest. Pray for that There was an older widow who had fallen onto hard times. And she struggled to pay her bills, and by the time she paid her bills, often there wasn't enough money for food. But she was faithful, and she was a righteous saint, and she would often, just before bed, get down on her knees by her open window at night and cry out to the Lord for her daily bread. Half hour, 45 minutes, she would just pray to God. Now she had a neighbor, and he was a very ardent atheist. And he could not stand hearing this woman cry out to what he called the great spaghetti monster in the sky. So many nights he 
just be trying to get some sleep. This superstitious old woman would just keep him awake with her prayers. So one night, he hatches a plan. And it was a mean plan, but maybe, just maybe, would finally shut the old lady up. So after hearing the widow's pleas uh, to the Lord for her daily bread that night, he sets his alarm, gets up real early, and he goes to the grocery store and he buys a whole car full of groceries. And he drives them over to her house and he sets them all on her porch. And then he rings the doorbell and he runs and he hides behind a bush. And the dear saint opens her door and looks at all the groceries and immediately she falls to her knees and just begins to praise God for having taken care of her needs. And the atheist gets this wicked grin on his face. And he steps out so she can see him and proudly exclaims, Ma'am, your God didn't provide your daily bread. I did. You see, I went and purchased all of these groceries this morning and placed them here. Do you not see there is no God? The woman looks up at him and then begins praying and praising God again. And frustrated, the man says to the woman, Did you not hear what I said? Your God didn't provide these groceries. I used my car, my money, and I placed them here on your porch. You foolish woman. Can't you see there's no such thing as God? And the woman pauses again and looks at the man. And then she begins praying even more loudly than before. And she says to the Lord, Thank you, Father, for you have provided this great bounty of food. And God, you are so amazing. You provided this food and you used the devil to do it. <laughs> God's ways are so surprising. And that isn't just an observation. Whether God is using the Philistines or someone more modern, whether in Scripture or in our lives, when we see this in action, we are witnesses to God's strange way of protecting his saints. And we are meant to respond. The wonder and surprise of the way God works should lead us to praise and worship. These are the times where we say, like Paul in Romans 11, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Which leads us to our third and final point. God's mercy is so steadfast and tenacious. Looking back at our passage, specifically around verse 7, we wonder at the relief that must have flooded over David as he realized that God had saved him. He saved him from having to fight his own nation. How would he be king to a nation that he attacked? And at least, I know I was, hopefully you were, but maybe you're rooting for David not to screw up. Don't mess this up, David. Just accept the fact that the Philistines are being used to save you. And get out of there. And in the morning, David and his men are headed for home. But to understand this whole jaunt, Right? We need to put chapter 27, where, where David went over to the Philistines, and this chapter side by side. We need to look at chapter 27 and then 29, and we need to realize that God's mercy went with David even into the heart of the enemy. Now we see God's mercy still pursuing the believer, even in his or her weakest moment, even in the moments where our, our faithfulness and our righteousness is weak. How powerful is the mercy of God? How he chases us and protects us. Yahweh is not some 
short-tempered, ill-mannered God. His mercy and patience is not exhausted, even when we choose our things. Some of us have a tendency to think of, of God in our own terms, right? Like he's, he's a bigger, stronger, faster man. Who once one of his children has botched up an area of their life, he gets angry, as we would do, and with righteous plea abandons them to fry in their own juices. That's not what we're seeing here. We're watching David march with his enemies, probably consuming tongues like crazy because he's so full of anxiousness, right? He's caught in his own trap. He and his men are aligned with the heathens, set to attack their own people. God allow him to cook in his own grave? No. God's mercy finds David. The same mercy that saved him from the, the attacks of Saul will surely save David from himself. God's inexhaustible mercy does not dry up bad news. Church, we should take heart in this passage. As, as we look back in our lives, at times where we've depended on our own cleverness or, or wisdom, sure that we could handle the situation. I, I've got this, God. I, I don't really need any help right now. Confident that we knew the right way. And then it goes sideways. And it proves disastrous. Perhaps it almost destroyed you. And you feared that God's mercy had abandoned you. After all, if I was God, my mercy would have done so. that's the case, and most certainly is of all of us at one time or another, then there is great news for Yahweh's servants. God does not cast us off in our foolishness. Our mistakes or outright blunders in the faith do not evaporate the mercies of God. It is so full and warm and so stubborn. So stubborn and insisted on following David into the land of the Philistines. And it was this mercy that later allowed David to write Psalm 23. Right? The world in Hollywood loves to quote this, but they rarely make it to verse 6. But look at, at, at Psalm uh, 23 here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hopefully you remember that loving kindness. That's that Hebrew word that I used earlier. Chesed. Don't say in the back of your throat, chesed, right? And what's that Hebrew word for? God's loyal love. David's successor was, was not his savvy, and not, not his cunning, but Yahweh's chesed and mercy. Whereas Saul's godless end was met in the darkness of night, David and the children of God, their, their story ends in a glorious morning. That glorious light of Jesus returning. This is what we should take from this passage today as we go our separate ways. 
God's presence can be so quiet. And so we should reflect and rejoice and share with others. God's ways are surprising to us. Never doubt that God can make something happen. His ways are not limited. Amen. And God's mercy is so steadfast and so tenacious. May we never think that we are too far from God for his mercy. Remember, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bungled your life feels now or at any point, God's chesed and mercy are pursuing you. And friends, God doesn't miss. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in your word. Lord, as, as we look over this, this passage today, we are reminded that your mercy and your loyal love, they chase us. Lord, I can think back to times in my own life where I thought I was on my own. I stepped out. I said I didn't need God anymore. But you were still there, still pursuing me. By your grace, Lord, you brought me back. You showed me that your mercy was greater than anything I could do. Lord, the temptation is, as, as humans, to, to put onto you a, a human reaction. And we look at our lives sometimes and we say, nobody who has ever done this could ever be loved by God. Nobody who has ever said that could ever be loved by God. Lord, those are lies from Satan. Because there is no sin that you cannot overcome. So Lord, I pray today that we would stay focused on you, that we would push those thoughts away, that you would clear the cobwebs our minds and our souls, Lord, and that we would be reminded of your chesed and your mercy every day that we walk, that we love you. We thank you again. In Jesus' name.